0: Today, we are doing another spin session, powered by age, stories, poems, interviews, and niceties. Well, hello, my name is Don Orr Martin. I'm uh, 69. I've I've lived in Vancouver since 2014, and I've been a member of Quirky, the Queer Imaging and Writing Collective for Elders, uh, since 2016. I'm going to be reading a story I call My Mother's Insomnia. My brothers and I believe our mother never slept. We were convinced she had been awake continuously for something like nine years. For one thing, she was often crabby, which we three brawling boys could never have imagined was our fault. For another, we never actually saw her go to bed, ever. After her regular chores and maybe a little TV, she would lie on the couch with a stack of magazines or a couple of books. She would be reading when the rest of us hit the hay, yet every morning without fail at 4.30 a.m., she would start the coffee percolator, turn on the kitchen radio to the farm news, and be finishing that fourth magazine or second book as we stumbled downstairs for breakfast. Flo claimed to be a voracious reader all her life. I should mention that my sister and I started calling her Flo instead of Mom in the mid-1960s. Flo and my sister were ardent supporters of the women's liberation movement, and they decided calling each other by first names was more egalitarian than the use of gender titles. Calling her Flo made me feel like an adult, too. Flo, or Florence, was the oldest living daughter of a small-town immigrant schoolteacher. She began reading newspapers on her father's lap at age three or four. It was his way of improving his own English. Both her parents were Scandinavian, her father from Norway, her mother from Sweden. They were strictly religious and emotionally distant. Flo never spoke of such things, but I think she found a world of passion and intrigue in the newspapers and later in books that she was not otherwise permitted to entertain. My mother skipped ahead two grades in school, largely because of her prodigious reading and graduated high school having just turned 15 in 1929, the year the Great Depression hit. When her father died shortly after, she and her mother and sisters all had to find whatever work they could to support the family. Flo took night classes to become an executive secretary. Nurse and secretary were about the only careers open to women then. She joined professional women's organizations and did very well in her job for several years. Yet her reading habits had kindled her imagination and she found the courage in 1944 to to quit her job and join the Red Cross in support of American troops as they invaded Italy during World War II. She was known as a donut girl driving a truck called the Clubmobile, behind combat lines with three other women volunteers, dispensing coffee, donuts, and solace to tired GIs as the army moved into France and Germany. She kept an oversized leather-bound scrapbook with photographs, (laughs) cartoons, and memorabilia. On several of its cloth-lined pages, she pinned infantry badges from every grateful army unit the donut girls served. Flo didn't talk to us kids much about her experiences during the war, but we knew from her scrapbook she saw a lot. Among the worst, her fiance was killed in the last weeks of the war. And she was there when they liberated the internment camp at Dachau. This last experience haunted her. She never stopped investigating why such horrendous acts could be committed. She also wanted to understand how the world was being made as a result of political forces that followed the war. And so she read and never seemed to sleep. One night, my brothers and I decided to test our theory that she never slept. We would take shifts. The youngest would get up about 10 PM. The middle brother would try to stay awake until at least midnight. I was the oldest, so I took the 3 a.m. reconnaissance. The first two spies didn't even try to be sneaky. They pretended to go down to the only bathroom in our old farmhouse, pausing in the dark hallway to peer into the living room. Their reports, she was still reading, no signs of drowsing. I struggled to stay awake until 2.30 a.m. The others had long since fallen asleep. My bedroom upstairs was directly over the living room. Every other floorboard and stair had a creak, but I had them all mapped, and I managed to make my way silently down to the kitchen. I crouched low so my head was hidden by my dad's recliner, and I held my breath. She was limply holding a magazine, very still. Her eyes were closed. Ah. I smiled, gotcha, I said to myself, and stood up just as she was raising and licking a finger to turn the page of the magazine. She caught me in her gaze. Donnie, what are you doing? Just seeing if you're awake, I said meekly, and headed back upstairs to bed. The farm news roused me at 4.30 a.m. right on cue. The brother's theory seemed to hold, but we realized it would take many more nights of observation to be sure, and we weren't willing to make the sacrifice. Flo's reading routine went on for many more years by all appearances. At times I tried to match her, and I may have come close as I worked my way through college, an opportunity she never had. Like her, the more I learned about the world, politics, and history, the deeper became my thirst to understand and challenge prejudice and injustice. When I was in my late 40s, more than a decade after Flo died, I too developed chronic insomnia. It peaked about the same time in my life as her sleeplessness had, and I took up her evening reading routine. I wonder sometimes if it's genetic. One thing I know is she and I both cherished having a part of the day to ourselves. I have learned that some of us, as we age, don't need as much sleep. And some of us can't waste the opportunity to read. Thank you.